This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to On the Bench. I am your host, Brendan Sinone. Back in the driver's seat, but not literally, because I was literally in the driver's seat the last 72 hours or so. Hi, guys. Hello. <laughs> I thought you were talking to the listener. I don't know who so I'm talking to. I, I don't know who I'm talking to. I I feel like we usually have the mid-October breakdown in the season, and I made it past mid-October, but only by a few days. The late October got me. The Louisville trip, once again, is undefeated. Anywho. Joining me today, Chris Nee, Josh Newberg. This is on the bench, and FSU is coming off a disheartening, disappointing forty-eight to sixteen loss to Louisville. I want to focus on that game a little bit today, fellas, but but more so, I want to get into where FSU is at midway through year one or year zero, however you want to describe it, or the Norvell era. Go over some recruiting news that we have, and and also some developments in the recruiting world that may speak to. FSU's direction and strategy of how it it wants to right the ship. So I think it's a good time to be reflective for this podcast. That's what I want to do today. For you guys, I know we talked a little bit about it during the the post-game podcast that, that you two did, and I joined briefly. What was your, and Josh, I'll start with you, your emotional response to watching that game? And if you had the testicular fortitude to do it, re-watching the game, I don't know if you did that to yourself or not. I had a lot of emotions. I had so many emotions. Which one? Oh, you want to know about the disheartening ones? It says here on the uh, on the script. That was my. I was disheartened. You you could feel however you want. They're your feelings. You're entitled to them, Josh. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Especially me. Well, no, I felt disheartened. I just okay. felt there's just many emotions. Well, unload them. Tell us your emotions. We're we're letting people know how this game impacted. Well, I think I, I felt the most disheartened by the fact that it it, it appeared that the guys were really trying hard and just unable to make the plays. The same plays that we saw him make a week ago, we saw guys in the backfield got getting home on blitzes, one-on-one to make a tackle, unable to do so. Um, but then again, we saw some things that we see all the time. We saw some terrible angles. We witnessed a lot of defensive linemen unable to get off blocks. So I felt in those moments, familiarity. Um, it's been you know a year and a half of watching that, really, from the defensive line. But it was, it was, yeah, overall disheartening. Uh, the effort put forth at one point, Chris Nee put in the group chat, and we're talking in the second quarter at some point, but Chris goes, you realize Louisville's on pace to, to rack up a thousand yards. <laughs> and I mean, they were, they went over 400 yards in the first half. Uh, he, he was not he, exaggerating. Yes, no, he, he wasn't. They were literally on pace in, at some point in the second quarter to go up over a thousand yards. Fuller didn't have any answers. Uh, the defense just the defense. Yeah, disheartening is, is probably at the end of the day the best way to describe it. Christopher, I know you're not one for speaking about your emotions, but we talked after the game while I was starting to make the trek back home. You seemed 
you seemed like almost I felt betrayal. Like I, I felt like you were betrayed because you were kind of starting hoping to be optimistic about this team and to have this setback where the effort was lacking. Uh, maybe I'm projecting because I was just felt betrayed myself. But that's what I got from you. You seem disappointed in that regard. Yeah, it's not about me. It's uh, rewatching the game. It drove home to me that it's just not a very good football team. Um, yeah, there, there's too many issues that show up too regularly for them to really have any kind of impressive sort of success. They're just, they're not built to be good. Um, I guess is the easiest way of putting it. Offensively, they're limited as a passing team. You know, and they get in a hole, they're really kind of up the creek without a paddle because they're not built to come from behind. You know, they have gotten better at running the ball. That is a positive. The O-line, we've mentioned the positives with them doing a better job, especially with Travis at quarterback. But defensively, they're just, they're bad. They're bad with a pass rush. They're pretty unbelievably awful without a pass rush. I mean, yeah, this game, Miami game, those two games combined, they give up a $100 bill to those two opponents. Yeah, it, they're just, they're awful. I mean, call it what it is. They're they they're really bad. They weren't that good against UNC. They were good enough to win, and the offense was very good. in the first half obviously kind of went the way it needed to go to allow FSU to get that win. But let's not act like they suddenly played a real good game. They've been bad in six games, and they've been downright awful in about three of them. And this was another one of those downright awful kind of performances. Uh, there's just so many mistakes. they there's an experience showing there's guys who are experienced who can't take an angle if their life depended on it. There's guys who don't know how to play with technique, fundamentals, leverage, how to do basic things. There's concerns I have with the scheme because of things that were allowed to pretty unbelievably talented players that we knew were unbelievably talented going into the game, like Tutu Atwell. Um, There's plays in the backfield that were missed because two guys were in the exact same spot instead of some kind of spacing. I just, you know, rewatching it, it was as bad as it seemed in the first watch. And six games in, you are kind of who you are. You can get better. You can improve. There's things you can do, but you're not making any giant leaps. And, you know, six games into the season, this defense is historically bad. They're giving up points at that kind of clip. They give up yards at that kind of clip. And the issue is they're giving up more yards with each game that goes by. So it's not like we're seeing a progressive improvement. We're actually seeing them play worse. What do you think, Brandon? I was going to – I want your thoughts, Josh, because you're not a big stat guy, and I got some stats I want to throw out here and be nerdy. You you use use your barometer. Use your algorithm, which, spoiler alert, is actually just your your gut and your your heart and your beautiful brain. You don't know that. Oh, that's true. I'm spoiling that for all the listeners. Is the defense from game one through midway point in the season, game six, has it gotten better or worse, stayed the same? I think they've gotten. I think they've gotten worse. Uh, seeing guys, seeing guys that we wanted to see, like see when Travis Jay's out there and is lost, and and Marvin's not getting the job done, and the linebacker situation is what it is. But you got Stephen Dix out, who's young and and is supposed to be athletic and flash and make plays, and and he's not really doing that either. Um, I think this defense lost a lot of confidence early on in the Louisville game, and I don't know where they're going to regain it. Um, certainly a, a bye week coming after a loss like that is is never good. You you would have liked maybe a bye week after the UNC game, um, maybe slow things down a little bit, but now they, they got to you know sit on this. And I don't think they've gotten any better. No, I don't, I don't think the defense has gotten better. What do you think? I think the fact that 
you can't answer it. You have to think about it. And I had to think what about are the numbers. It from, the numbers say, well, they've given up more yards every single game. And that necessarily isn't the best barometer. I'm put it this way. The defense allowed 9.3 yards per play against Louisville. That mm. was the most of any college football team, uh, FBS uh, college football team to play last week. So literally there were 90 teams playing, 90 or so teams playing this past week. FSU was the worst against the Louisville offense. It has some big play hitters, but hasn't been like a great offense by any means this season. FSU's played better offenses. Uh, it was to me, as I think about the game, as I reflected on it, as driving home, uh, rewatched the game yesterday. Finally on Monday, I was able to rewatch it. I, I felt this bereft of hope. I think that's what, what struck me. And this isn't just about the defense. And I know we're focusing on the defense for this, but uh, as we'll transition us to the other thing, and, and that to me was this lack of confidence that you alluded to, Josh, and uh, this lack of energy on the sideline. Like when I'm there watching the sideline, watching the way players and coaches are interacting together, uh, all the energy, all that goodwill that was built up with that UNC game, we didn't come out here saying that we thought FSU was going to outright win this game. I think you guys had them winning, but having a close game, I had them losing the close game. Like we thought this would be kind of in between of what FSU could do, but we weren't looking for them to win, to keep the growth. We wanted just to see them continue to progress with energy, with effort, uh, with confidence. And they didn't do any of that. There was a couple guys who I think you could say, you definitively could say play hard, um, mm-hmm. but they took a step back emotionally in this game. I think that's what stood out to me. Two steps back. Two steps back. And that's, that's what should, the, the podcast should be named is the two steps back podcast. Cause I feel like we've been saying that now for, for a month and change. It just feels like every time you make some progress, it, it just comes. Yeah. To you asked right me back. that specifically about my confidence on the last podcast heading into the Louisville game. And I said, I was feeling great, but I'm just jaded from the, from the cycle that we're in where every time we take a step forward, we take two steps back. <laughs> I had no idea that we were going to go into that Louisville and take two steps back, even though I should have expected it. I told myself to expect it. You, you can't play a team that you know is explosive, and that's all they talked about for an entire week is how explosive they are, what they do offensively, what it is. And then you let them literally do exactly what it is they do, and you give up, what was it, 13 explosive plays for 429 yards? I mean, that's just nuts. That, and most that, of that in the first half, too, Chris. So that's the worst yeah, part. It's they gave up 410 yards in the first half. Yeah, yeah. and 70-yard touchdown run, 66-yard reception, so on and so forth. 35-yard run to the quarterback where you should have had him for a loss in the backfield. There's so many examples. There's so many missed tackles, you know, two dozen-plus around 30. There's missed assignments galore. There's, you know, nine drop passes, 13 catchable balls that they don't make receptions on. It was so bad in so many ways that it just is who they are. Like, I'm done. I don't want to make any excuses for them. I really don't want to have any hope for them. I do think they'll play better than they played against Louisville at some point. But I think they're also very likely going to play very much like they did against Louisville again at some point, too. That is entirely where I'm at with this football team. And the whole sideline demeanor, all that, they're mentally weak. They've been mentally weak. We we beat that horse to death last year, and I think the year before. It's here again. It is who they are. They've gotten a little bit better at it. There's been glimpses of some hope, and there are definitely some guys with buy-in. So that's an optimistic tune to it. But at the end of the day, too much of that roster is what it is, and that's mentally weak. There might be some – well, all right, let's put a pin in that because you mentioned bright spots, buy-in. 
eventually this conversation for the podcast is going to get to where does FSU go from here? Maybe not this year. Cause I think we're, we're all feeling this after a, a really disappointing loss that, that there's not a whole lot of hope within this season. And we're more looking at, at the future under Mike Norvell. Uh, the other dynamic, the only other thing I wanted to talk about for the Louisville game, uh, who plays hard consistently? Emmett Rice. Team? I was going to say, I, let's go. Let's go from offense to defense. Down position that might be the easiest way to do that, real quick. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a good bit of guys that play hard. Jordan Travis, we know plays hard. Um, yep. Uh, the running backs, I like all three of them. Yeah, I was going to say all the backs. Def- definitely Webb. I mean, Webb's a human yep. hammer. I mean, I, that's just kind of lifting him up above that group. But that group, yes, you're right. That's probably the best yep. room on FSU's entire roster. I agree. I think that's a bright spot when you're looking at building blocks and an identity formulating. Like, that gives you some inkling of hope, if not for this year, for the future. Especially because that's something Mike Norvell has done successfully at other stops, right? He's he's developed good running games. And so the fact that something he does well is already showing itself is – encouraging a uh, tight end at cam mcdonald i think plays pretty hard consistent not as maybe as consistently with the the splash plays as you would like but i'm fine with cam mcdonald and and preston daniel and even white rector got in there and, and blocked his butt off uh the other day offensive line uh, Devontae love taylor signed me up like i hope you get another year of him right like i hope we have one more season of watching yeah and i think the o-line group with an exception or two as a whole has very much taken to atkins and yeah. doing what's asked of them the biggest issue that group has is boneheaded moments that they need to cut out. That starts with Dante Lucas. Bavion Johnson, as an experienced guy, also needs to quit having pre-snap penalties. That's just something that's in, unforgivable for a guy who has as many career snaps as he now does. Okay. Uh, on defense, who plays hard? I don't really want to say anybody on the starting group of that defensive line consistently. You know, I, I hate to act like Kendo doesn't because I think he does. But man, he was a ghost against Louisville, for example. And you know, J. Rob plays hard. I guess I was going to say, can inef- it's ineffective. So like, gonna, yeah. it's it's balancing those two ideas. But as a whole, that group, there are guys who play hard. Robert Cooper has at times this year for sure. Fabian Lovett definitely has at times this year. Mark it doesn't mean they're effective Mark's just because right. they're playing hard. But. So much of it's ineffective that it's like, who cares if they're playing hard? Like they're not right. accomplishing anything. Football's a results business. And that group's results outside of one game, North Carolina, is piss poor. And when you're not effective, to Josh's point, when you're not effective, that tends to directly impact effort uh, sooner or later. It's just it's hard to keep running into someone and hitting someone over and over again and be willing to to fly around when you're not seeing results. I, I get concerned, and I've – mentioned this in other podcasts and this is one of the reasons why I feel disappointed and disheartened coming off of this this weekend's game and I'm trying not to overreact here but we had heard for a couple weeks that there was an apprehension on the defensive side of the ball to buy into Adam Fuller's scheme that guys weren't feeling it for whatever reason collectively as a collective group not saying all but but a good chunk of them uh, we thought maybe they were turning the corner against UNC, at least in terms of saying like, hey, here's a blueprint. Like you go ahead and do what we tell you to do. You do it hundred miles per hour, something good's going to happen. And then we see this Louisville game. And, and I don't know if there's what the disconnect is at this point. Uh, Mike Norvell, Chris had, had talked about that today during his, his media availability about make a play. Like at a certain point, got to attack and make a play. So I don't know what people want to blame this on scheme and Adam Fuller and where he's positioning, positioning guys. Some people want to blame it on players, not 
playing hard enough or not knowing how to make a play, not being talented enough. I think it's a collective. They're just in deep trouble on defense right now without, without a fix evident this season. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I made the free agency comment a few weeks ago. That still holds true on defense for sure. Um, they, they just, they're not a good enough team. They don't play well enough. They don't play like 11 guys together and, you know, the effort's good. I'm not going to say they didn't make an effort against Louisville because I do think they did consistently over the span of that game make an effort. I, I think I they lost all confidence. I mean, I thought they, they looked like a team that just wilted the minute that it really went bad. But I wouldn't say their effort depleted. I mean, they had an effort early when they were getting torched on huge plays. Yeah, so. there was an effort early. I think the effort dipped down, Chris, in the second half watching the body language. Like Emmett Rice was playing hard throughout the game. Oh, well, they were defeated at that point. Right, right. I know, I, but, but I don't know. And I'm not even saying quit. I'm just saying I felt like guys weren't playing fast. Either they didn't right. believe in what they were doing or just didn't have it in them that day. It was just – it was – You ever get your ass kicked for a whole day? Kind of get I mean, tired. Of every day I come on the podcast with you guys, I feel like I got my ass kicked. Wow. I just get abused emotionally. Well, you know, by the end. I'm nice to you now. I don't even know what you're talking about. I used to be really mean to you, but I tried to change my ways. Oh, you made a conscious effort? Yeah. Uh, no, I just – FSU football, It that roster has to be flipped. It, I, I think it's as simple as that. Schemes are things that can be changed, and there are things that I certainly wish they would do differently on defense. But before you can get to the scheme, you got to have some players to see if the scheme works. And right now, I don't feel like FSU's got good enough players. And I feel like, you know, I feel like with the offense, they're making some things happen, and a lot of it's smoke and mirrors and making tricks happen. And teams are going to figure it out as they put it on film. I think we saw some of that with Louisville, with what they did to Jordan Travis, not to mention he was banged up. But defensively, it's tougher to come along defensively. That side of the ball is always the second one to come along among offense and defense. But for FSU right now, there's just not enough reliable types that you know can make a play for you. And if you're awful at the line of scrimmage, it's going to affect everything behind it. And FSU is awful at the line of scrimmage on defense. They don't consistently get a good push. They don't consistently win one-on-ones. And they do a horrendous job of finishing opportunities when they present themselves. And to me, that that just it's like a conversation ender for me. I just don't I don't think the defense has anywhere to go unless that group somehow magically turns into what they did somewhat against UNC consistently. And I have no reason to believe they're going to become that consistently. It would be a pleasant surprise at this point if if it happened. But, yeah, there's no evidence to say this is what what they are. I, I think what we've seen throughout six games Majority of those six games has shown five out of six has shown more or less what they are. Uh, and you mentioned flipping the roster, Chris. Going to get to that in like five minutes here. First, real quick, I had three post game quotes I wanted to read you guys, get your reactions because I think they're all telling in different ways. Uh, this first one was from Mike Norvell. I asked him to start off like whether he thought this game was a setback. Essentially, uh, this isn't the full quote, but this is the telling part to me. He said, "Quote." We are a team that is a continued work in progress. You say a setback. We understand what it is to play winning football. We've seen flashes of it. We've seen moments. But right now, we are not playing consistent enough to be able to sustain that. We've got to continue to work and learn lessons, go get improved in practice, and it's going to show up on game day. Constant work in progress, Josh. How do you how do you digest that? That coach speak? Yeah. But they are I a work in progress. I think that's trying to say – that he's looking. Are you? You want me to interpret it, or you yes. want me to just tell you? Oh, okay. I want you. I want. Yeah. I want to your interpret algorithm it, to spit it out. It means that he's basically looking at this from a broader view, 
the ups and downs he's saying are expected and are, are a part of the process. Um, I think he's viewing it in a way that he's saying, you be patient. It's part of the plan. We knew the ups and downs were coming. You know, he's trying to hold it together. Um, do I agree with what he's saying? I mean, I don't know what else he's supposed to say. Right. But that, that's the thing I love. I wish you guys would ask our hard questions. I always enjoy when that comes about during a losing streak or a bad game. You know, you need to ask a coach about this. This is what coaches say. Coaches mm-hmm. are going to tell you it's about tomorrow. It's about pushing. It's about getting better. We're working towards something. That That's a consistent theme of what a coach says. Norvell isn't going to come out after that game and throw his team or his coaching staff under the bus. He's just not going to. One, he's going to take ownership as a head coach because he leads from the top, which is what you need from a head coach. And two, he knows they're not good. He knows this team has a hell of a long way to go and that there's pieces of it that aren't currently here that are going to make them a good football team. So he's not going to lose the room as a whole by doing something negative towards them in a space like that with the media. This next quote, though, is kind of interesting where he's assigning, I don't want to say blame, but he's assigning areas where guys do have to get better. And this is talking about the defense. He said, quote, there were a handful of times that as you prepare and you work through the week of what you expect and what you see, there's times we had a pretty we had pretty good calls into some of these plays, and there were times that we probably could get better situations. Everybody's got to make sure that we're communicating. There, to me, was a bit of a glimpse into some frustration with the defensive game plan. That's how I absorb that. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think that's a matter of he's going to point that out on Sunday when they're doing corrections of what are you supposed to do here to player X. And when player X says, well, I'm supposed to, you know, play with leverage or work to the inside or, you know, shadow his back hip or whatever it is, whatever technique fundamental they're taught to do is. And then he's going to say, then why didn't you do that? And point right to the film of them doing it incorrectly. And it led to this. I, I think he he's all about accountability. He's there's a difference between blame and accountability. And to me, that's that's talking about there needs to be accountability. He had a similar quote today when asked uh, pertaining to uh, with regards to the defense and fundamentals and techniques and making plays and doing certain things. And essentially his response was six games into a season, these things need to happen. Like you're at the point where you should understand what you're being asked to do and you should be able to go do it. And they're feeling to come up that big. So he's not scared of saying that, but to me there's a big difference between throwing him away and being you know, critical. He's not scared of being critical. I and mean, he's definitely not scared of being critical with guys that aren't part of what he's going to use to build the foundation in the future of this program. I guess I'm applying some of what I saw on the sideline during that game. I thought Mike seemed to be, I think the most confounded maybe that he had been uh, all season from watching him. Well, do you think he was shell-shocked? I think there was more of a resignation of this is who we are and what we are right now. And I think that then led to frustration. Uh, he he said on Saturday after the game, he said on Monday evening's coaches show, and he said it again today, reiterating that he believed they had a great week of preparation leading up to Louisville. Yeah. So to me, it speaks to what I saw in practice this time did not translate to what I saw on the field this time. Like, I feel like earlier in the season, he would 
say some of the disappointing parts of what he saw in the game. He certainly saw that in practice. I don't feel like he's responded to the Louisville game in the same manner. Yeah, even like the Miami game, and he wasn't on the sideline, obviously, for that for us to watch. But I think he was – I think that was more of a flush kind of game in some ways uh, because of all the circumstances. This one seemed to be, I don't know, more, more profound in, in the way it hit him with more like, okay, where do we go from here? Because I think he, like us, saw some things to buy into and saw buy-in into his program for players against UNC – Saw a decent week of practice. Thought they obviously had a decent game plan, uh, even though they know they had to to work around an injured Jordan Travis. Uh, and then to see the team crumble after getting hit in the mouth like that, it, that brings me back to the first quote. Like he didn't want to say setback when I asked him that, but but to say we're a work in progress, I think it's a full on like waving to the flag to say like we got a long freaking way to go. Um, were you watching? Were you watching him when they didn't convert for points at the goal line? No, no. I was just wondering what his reaction was because that's clearly something that they're very frustrated about is getting down into point scoring position and coming away with zeros. And, uh, you know, there's been instances of three last weeks in the red zone where they've come away with zero points in such situations. And they've also missed multiple field goals. And a lot of sevens have turned into threes for other reasons. So I just was wondering if you're watching that moment in specific I watch more when guys go back to the sideline, do more of the transitional stuff. I wish maybe for this next home game against Pittsburgh, I should just straight up go binoculars and do sideline watching the entirety of the game instead of trying to, you know, do 50 updates on Twitter and in the message board during the game. I think it may be more interesting uh, to report back on with our, with our listeners and readers. All right. Last quote I had for you guys, Jordan Travis, this one was interesting. Uh, he mentioned, uh, okay. So we have to get our back to work. I'd say that we have to get back to work this week. Okay, quarterback speak. Then he goes, uh, we got to get to work on our confidence. I think our confidence isn't there. You lost it throughout the game. We just have to be consistent. That's the main thing. Now I asked him to kind of elaborate on that, Chris. Remember, and he, he, he backtracked a little bit, but I thought that was the most telling quote of any player, any coach that we've had in the last uh, couple of weeks maybe was the admitting to lack of confidence and leaking the confidence. Uh, and when Jordan lost his confidence, you could see it. When he re-injured his shoulder – and they ended up scoring a touchdown a couple of plays later. Uh, but he got up and seemed kind of – he just seemed beaten up. Like, I don't know, physically, emotionally, whatever. But but when that guy who has been the catalyst, the spark plug the last few weeks, when he wasn't able to go, uh, I think that had a trickle-down effect through the rest of the roster. I'd agree with that. Sorry, I thought Josh might take it first. Oh, um, yeah. Go ahead, Chris. You first. I'd agree with the factor of one, they definitely lost confidence. And yeah, I remember when he said that, I found it to be him kind of letting his guard down because he's usually fairly generic, you know, saying the right things kind of guy. And that's not a knock on him. You know, he's he's solid from a political stance of responding to questions. But I did find that politics, kind Chris. Of, no politics. I, I found that moment to be him letting the veil down and admitting to it. Um, but yeah, I, I just were. I think that spark's going to be tough to rekindle. That's uh, something that I'm really worried about for them offensively. Is I, I think they rode that wave and they got a lot out of it, and it was good for them. You know, they've had a bit of a spark of offensive production. 
some touchdowns, some confidence building, but I, I think a lot of that evaporated in Louisville. Do you think they got figured out in that regard or more just? Well, yeah, I definitely think there's some of now that it's on film, you can prepare for it better. Plus him being beat to hell isn't going to help because you can't run him as much as you may want to. Kenny Dillingham uh, admitted to that today. Right. So that wasn't in the game plan, the option stuff. But he's not magically going to become thicker and more durable in a two-week hiatus. You know, he might be a little more healthy when he goes out there against Pitt, but at some point he's going to get beat up again because that's just how he's built. Um, I I just worry about, you know, the offense kind of reverting back to where it was pretty much incapable of doing anything effectively early in the season. You know, they found their legs a bit here with the running game, but Jordan's also helped that along. So I don't know. I just it concerns me. But as far as a quote, I thought he kind of let his guard down and admitted to what was sort of noticeable watching that game transpire. And Chris said that they started to be able to game plan against him better. Yeah, of course they can game plan against him better. Not only do they have the film, like he said, but he's not doing half the things that he did on that film to make him successful. So now you've pared down what he's doing. You cut it in half. Of course, of course, they're going to catch up with them. We knew we knew that defenses were going to catch up with them. And of course, the defenses are going to catch up with an unhealthy Jordan Travis. Josh, did you ever get my care package together from Market Square Liquors, as you promised on the last podcast? Yeah, it's being put together. I'm putting together something real special for you. Some Pappy Van Winkle, maybe? Real special. I do want to thank our sponsor for the top half of this podcast, Market Square Liquors, located off of Timberlane Road, near Thomasville Road and I-10. Uh, Market Square Liquors has the best selection of spirits in town. Great beer selection on the back wall there. Awesome wine selection as well. Very knowledgeable clerks and staff to help uh, help you make some informed decisions. I got my wedding whiskey from Market Square Liquors a couple years back. It was a Glen Morangi Signet whiskey. Needed it for a diverse group of whiskey drinkers. Uh, it's like a $200 bottle that I was horrified to see my future brother-in-law was like shotgunning uh, whiskey bombs in the... Uh, in, in the dressing room or rehearsal room or whatever. Yeah, that was that was not good. I'm like, it's not Jameson, dude. Uh, yeah. And also the, the lounge next door at Marcus Square Liquors is is really classy. They have live music on Fridays. Uh, an amazing, incredible, like legitimately wonderful bourbon selection. So Marcus Square Liquors, thank you for, for your sponsorship. Uh, we appreciate it. Uh, guys, if you're a fan of the podcast, if you're a fan of, uh, of, of boozing it up sometimes, please check out Marcus Square Liquors when you're in town. And, uh, and let me know we sent you. So I want to, for the next 10 minutes or so here, kind of focus on Chris mentioned free agency. He's mentioned flipping the roster. And while Chris is right, there's not a free agent fix this year. I, I got a feeling, called a hunch, that this is going to be the closest thing to free full-on free agency that we've seen in the history of, of college football for a few reasons. And it's going to be profound at Florida State. Chris, do you want to kind of explain the the ruling that the NCAA or, or the, I guess, the uh, advisory committee has put together that's going to potentially lead to uh, a lot of roster movement without without a whole lot of ramifications? Well, as we know from the Willie Taggart era, APR is one of those things where if you're on the fringe, if you're low in it, you have to worry about it. You can't be overzealous with kicking people to the curb, for lack of a better term. The recommendation by the Division One Committee on Academics is that the Board of Directors of D1 suspend APR penalties for two years due to COVID-19. Um, that recommendation will be 
considered this coming week, I believe on Wednesday. And most times when there's a recommendation made, it's approved. So it's very likely that they're going to suspend it for two years. What that means for FSU, probably two, say three, maybe four souls that they previously were not in a position to move on from, they now may be able to. So it just frees things up a little bit more in that regard. And in a year where the transfer portal is going to be more popular than ever, it potentially opens up some more roster spots. Now there's, you know, with all that comes all scholarship limit, which we don't know yet what it will be signing limits. We don't know if they'll change those. There's a lot of decisions to go, but it, you know, if things open up and you're allowed to exceed the 25 man limit in a single class or the 85 man limit overall, and you're able to open up a couple more spots, it just creates some more opportunity to, you know, flip that roster a little bit quicker than you would have under the previously established rules. This isn't new for those who've listened on the podcast. I think we've kind of we banged this drum already, but but Josh, I'll let you re-solidify. Uh, we're expecting the transfer portal to be a pretty big freaking deal for FSU this this offseason, right? Definitely. And as I said before, I, I just don't think FSU is going to rush into it because you got to find the right players. And FSU when they look at when, when they're going to try to sell the program, they're going to try to sell it to these transfers as, Hey, come in here. There's playing time to be had. The roster's open. And we know that there are going to literally be dozens of players hitting the portal in the next couple of weeks. So we've seen some trickle through. We do know FSU's made contact with some, and as they do, they're just doing their due diligence on every single player that hits the portal to see like what their situation is, what a possible fit might look like, um, opening up a line of communication. I think that's very important. It doesn't mean that they're they're pressing to, to get guys now. Um, I think patience in the portal is key, but when it's time to turn it on, I think, and when I, when I say that, I think I'm talking about really the last week of the season into that first week when the season ends, I think is when we're going to see a majority of the action in the transfer portal. So just getting their ducks in a row until then is kind of what I expect, but um, that's going to be so Juco, wild, man, right? Like the, the, portal, yeah, the season ends though for different teams at different times and different conferences, like weeks apart, months apart. It's going to be crazy. Yeah, and I don't want to say FSU is conceding the 2021 20, recruiting class out of the high school level, but I think they're going to just recruit the guys, the regular names that we've seen throughout the summer and into the fall. I think those targets aren't going to change. But I don't think we're going to see a ton of new names in 2021 recruiting. We'll see new names, of course. We do every year. But I think the majority of the action will be in the transfer portal. Yeah, and I think we're already seeing a nice influx of kids into the transfer portal a little bit earlier than normal for a regular season. Obviously, this season's not particularly regular. Um, That's going to continue. I, I think we're going to see massive amounts of kids in the transfer portal this year. And I agree with Josh wholeheartedly. I think FSU's recruiting this year is going to be a little bit more of high school kids, but not a drastic uptick with regards to the target board for them there. I think they're going to evaluate the JUCO ranks, but that's kind of a to-be-determined thing with regards to how much they can get out of that department that can truly help them. And then I think you're going to see them go real transfer heavy. If they can get guys that can certainly be reliable depth, if not pieces that could start for them, they're going to go for it. I think you're going to see that on offense immediately in the sense of trying to find some more playmakers, especially with the expectation that Tamorian Terry probably is done here after this season with going pro. And then on defense, I think they're going to 
take a real healthy roster look at that group after the season. You're going to see a lot of influx in and influx out with that group. And you're going to need some guys that can come in immediately and help because you're going to lose some guys that you probably were expecting from an experience standpoint to be reliable pieces in the future, in the well, near future. Yeah, this is a this is a, a, a good thing for FSU though. They're gonna, I think they're gonna take advantage of this. Mike Norvell's ability to assess and his staff's ability to assess, evaluate uh, the graduate transfer market has been good so far mm. in a in a limited window at Florida State. Pretty high hit rate there. And obviously we know what he's done with the junior college ranks uh, through his time at Memphis and the connections he's built up there. So those are, if you're looking for reasons for optimism in, in a program building standpoint, especially like when you haven't been able to lay the inroads regionally, especially in Florida with high school coaches, because you haven't been able to get out on the road. Uh, this is all going to be important to see if he can, can kind of flip the roster uh, and with flipping the roster in mind, guys, I want to play a quick game because I think this will be informative for us, for, for listeners Let's go down position by position and, and kind of midway through the season here, look at guys who we think are either building blocks or at least players worth retaining and working on developing, whether it's as starters and, and like legitimate functional pieces of, of the scheme or special teams guys. But just like look at the roster here, starting at quarterback. And Jordan Travis, we assume is going to be like a, a useful part of the offense, if probably not quarterback one long term material as we've documented here but he's someone I think you you can rely on in some capacity or another as an offensive weapon type of guy for the next couple of years Chubba Purdy we want to see more of Tate Rotomaker I think you see continue to, to be developed here too but that's that's it at quarterback I don't think we see James Blackman after this season fair yeah fair we might not see him by the end of the season but yeah uh, running back, we mentioned earlier, this is the room that we like the most. Uh, Chris, what are your thoughts on on that position? I think that room stays pretty stable as is um, with the three that you've seen a lot of this year, that being Webb, Jay Sean Corbin, Lawrence Tallfilly. I think Ja'Kai Douglas and Corey Wren certainly have a way to factor into this team and what they do. And they obviously use their backs in a lot of ways and they intend to use them in even more ways. I do think FSU tries to add at least one big piece at that group. I think they would like somebody who might be a little bit more of a uh, scoreboard lighter type guy, you know, a little, you know, little twitchy, more. explosive. Yeah, type. just yeah. they they have a lot of nice skill sets in that room, and that room's become dependable, and they're producing at a pretty good clip. But you can still upgrade slightly with one possible addition. So I definitely think they're going to add at least one, but I don't think you're going to see that room dwindle outside of maybe one guy deciding, well, there's not enough PT to go around. You know, that could always happen. But I'm This not is like, I feel like we're building the Noah's Ark of FSU football moving into the future. It's like, who, who, who needs to get on the Ark to move forward and who can we leave off? But if that was the case, we're only allowed to take two of each, right? Right. So, so I'm get pair which, me. Which, which running back are you leaving? Those backs. No, oh, no, no, do no. we want to do it that way? Just do it at two guys at each. Oh, that may be me. No, let's do it. Right, two guys at each position group. Do we want to do it. <laughs> I like how you're like that. Might be mean. Ah, oh, hell, let's do it. I mean, it's a podcast. This is what fodder <laughs> is for. All right, quarterback uh, Jordan Travis and Chubba Purdy. Yes. Okay, running back. Uh, Going to get difficult now. Webb and Philly and Webb. All right. All right. Wide receivers, uh, you're probably not keeping Tamora and Terry realistically because pro aspirations, as Chris said. Um, <laughs> keep in mind, it's coming off of a pretty terrible outing for those guys. Uh, you know what, though? Keisha, I'm in, lo- I'm in love Keisha with Hill. nobody in that room. 
I know I'm not either, but I think Keyshawn Helton coming off of a pretty bad knee injury hasn't been as explosive as you would like him to be. I know he had the two drops, but had some really great catches uh, against UNC. I'm fine with like keeping him in the room and building around him to an extent. Yeah, we also personally like him. Like we yeah. think highly of him. But that's important too. Like he's a like I'm taking him and Brian Robinson for me. Yeah, I'm taking Ontario Wilson and Brian Robinson. I think at the end of the day, Wilson can do a little bit more than Keyshawn Helton could for me moving forward. Okay. And Brian Robinson, because we haven't seen him yet. So as a true FSU fan, I'm just going with the unknown. I think, that works for me. I think Kentron, this is, I know, terribly uncomfortable for Chris, and, and he doesn't like to speculate. We're saving guys on arc or not right now. Tight end, <laughs> tight end, tight end position. Uh, Preston Daniel and Cam McDonald. I mean, they're your top two for a reason. I, I like Jordan Wilson a lot. I think he brings a lot to team dynamic, but we haven't seen him play. So I'm going to stick with the two we've seen. I'm going off the script a little bit. I'm going to take Cam McDonald, and uh, in my second spot on the arc goes to Jackson West. Even though he's in high school, I think he's more important to get on, get in, and get on the on the roster than anybody else. I think that's a position we'll see continue to be mined for grad transfer types, and mm-hmm. they want to continue to to bolster that position group. Uh, but that group has been pretty good from from top to bottom, given the expectations heading into the year. Uh, I know some internally we're kind of skeptical of what that group would be. It's, it's been fine. It's been serviceable. Uh, all things considered offensive line, Devontae Love Taylor, Marie Smith have been the top two uh, most consistent week in week out for me. Yeah. I'd take Devontae Love Taylor and Robert Scott. You need tackles. Uh, tackles are more, you, you can yeah. find interior guys easier than you can find tackles. I think Robert's got a bright future. I, I love the kids work ethic. and I like how the coaches yeah. like them because of what he brings to it. Um, give me um, Robert Scott, and just because I've come this far, I can't let him go now. Baby on Johnson. I'm still just holding out hope. I'm going to forever hold out hope. I love Josh. He sticks to his guns to death. Like, I've let Carter Boatwright stay off the boat. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't, even, we didn't, even, we didn't boat, bite him to the boat. Boat wrong is more like it, Chris. <laughs> I feel like only Brendan. I feel like only Brandon can relate because he can't drop a bad stock either. So it's kind of <laughs> like it, you can't let go. You just can't admit defeat. So I'm taking Baby on with me on the arc. I'm dreading the comments on this being like, "Oh, who on the on the bench podcast would we take in the Noah's Ark?" And it'd all be Chris and Josh, Chris and Josh, except for like two weirdos out there who like me. Uh, defensive line. Let's go. Ooh. We're doing line or ends and tackle. All right, let's start defensive tackle. Let's let's start inside, work our way out. Uh, Coop and love it. All right, give me um, – Okay, me too. Can I put Briggs in the middle? Yep, he plays in the middle. Okay, give me Briggs and Cooper. I'll go Coop and love it, just what love its upside can be, I guess. Uh, but there's some other nice pieces on there as well. Marvin Wilson not being dominant this year has been bitterly disappointing. Edge defenders uh, – I mean, Josh Griffiths, just for the future, um, they really need help at the portal. At defensive <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, healthy Kando. Yeah, yeah. I don't think Joshua Kando is coming back another year, though. I, I'd be surprised at this point if Kando is coming back for why. Year. I don't think he wants to be K- here. Another Kando is a weird prospect to me because I think he's better at football than we've ever seen him be at FSU. 
But I'm also not sure that if you're an NFL team, you're investing in them. So, like, what do you do in that case? I can't. Or, or do you, does he just focus on what his future is away from football? Because he has set himself up well away from the game, too. So, who are you guys saving there? Kane Doe and Griffiths, who are you saving, Josh? Do I have to save anyone? Yes. I mean, yeah. I don't think you have to. I'm taking Quayshon Fuller. Um, Josh is, all right, move on. Josh is just double me up on Briggs because he can play (laughs) end too. I can tell when we start losing, Josh. It's happening right now. Linebacker. Hey, hey, hey. I would take McClendon. Okay. And I I have no clue on the other one. Like, I guess Griffiths because we got to go young and the other two guys are old. And the other two guys aren't really doing anything. So there's some problems that we're starting to uncover a little bit on defense. If if you guys are gonna start catching catch this on to the a, theme here. This is the best midseason grades I've ever done in my life. I love it. That was arc of FSU football. Brilliant, Josh. Brilliant. Or was it Chris? Who came up with this idea? You. You <laughs> Noah's Ark thing. I, oh, I didn't say Noah's Ark. Well, uh, Josh brought up Noah's Ark. I brought up the two of, of each. So. All right. Well, but you is, ran with it. This is collective. So I, you're putting on me if, if someone from yes, FSU's office yes. is here. If, if someone's unhappy about, about this, it is all Brendan Sinone's fault. Me and Josh say things, but he's one that makes the train go. What else is new? It's a boat, <laughs> not a train. Uh, the linebacker, Amari Gaynor and Steven Dix. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. I'll go Gainer and Lundy. You love Lundy. I do. Josh, linebacker? Uh, Gainer and Dix. Cornerback, Asante Samuel Jr., can we, can we convince him for one more season? Well, if we're putting Terry's in the pro, then no. Yeah. It, well, that's a the little, same. Okay. You told us we couldn't take Tamar and Terry, so. I'll go Dodson and Brownlee. Okay. Josh? I'll go Brownlee and Travis J. Not a cornerback, but that's fine. Oh, we're doing I thought we were doing DBs. No. Um the, uh, what's his name that's sitting out that hasn't played Redshirt? Demore, Demore Tate. Demore Tate. Yeah, Sorry. I was gonna go Demore Tate and Miko Dotson. Safety. Can we convince Hampson Nazraldine to come back for another season? We can't convince him to come back this season. What makes you think he's gonna come back next season? Jesus, Josh. Oh, I don't know if that's oh. accurate, but um, I don't know. I I don't know. It's safety. Um, I mean Travis J. This game is much harder than it should be, right? <laughs> yes. Do you think we could get Cyrus Fagan to walk back on the arc? <laughs> All right. So that's the that's the midseason uh, Noah's Ark of FSU football. This is probably the best work we've ever done. I'm incredibly proud of it. Long story short, there's a lot of work that needs to be done in, in rebuilding this roster, and, and hence transfer portal soon cometh. All right, let's take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we have a couple of recruiting tidbits. I have three good questions to ask the fellows, and then we'll wrap it up. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving nonstop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. 
you can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Welcome back to On the Bench, wrapping up here. Going to go over some recruiting tidbits. Not a whole lot to go over right now, but I want to, as always, give the platform to Josh and Chris to to flex their their mighty, mighty knowledge of FSU recruiting. Josh, I'll throw this to you first. You got a little little JUCO scoop for us? Yeah, a little JUCO scoop. Um, This was really hard for me not to mention while we were talking in the other segment, but I have great podcast discipline. And I'm like, Chris, thank you. Yes. Yeah, I knew. Um, So I talked this week with Romel Webb. Um, He's at Jones College and he's a running back. Might sound familiar to some of you because LaDamian Webb was also a running back last year at Jones College. Um, Romel Webb. No relation. Who is five foot eight and two hundred and ten pounds, has the same last name as Ladamian Webb, damn near the same measurables, goes to the same JUCO, but is not related. I promise you he's not related. Um, I asked him. Romel Webb is originally from Memphis. I believe he went to Southwind High School. He wasn't really recruited out of high school. Um he had 2,000 yards his senior year. I said, why, you know, 2,000 yards, that's a lot of yards. How come you weren't recruited? He goes, I had 2,000 yards my junior year too. And he said, he, I mean, he just was genuinely kind of perplexed on why. I said, did you have grades? He said, yeah, I had grades. He goes, I had a couple offers, but I think, you know, he goes, not the offers I wanted. So I went to Jones. Um, he told me he's starting to hear from a couple schools. He picked up one offer and that's from Tennessee State. But in the last two weeks, he's heard from FSU, Mississippi State, and Middle Tennessee um coach david johnson fsu's running back coach reached out to him at the beginning of october and kind of opened the lines of communication and then he said that he heard from him on friday uh, just before fsu's game against louisville coach johnson reached out and uh, this is what webb said quote he and i talked last friday he told me he was going to going to be checking back with coach norvell to see if they're going to offer he likes my film and everything said he wants to show it to their staff and see what they think um, Mississippi State off-field recruiting coordinator also contacted Webb and told him something similar to what he's hearing from FSU. So he's kind of in a wait-and-see mode. Um, Webb will be able to enroll at a new school in January uh, because he, he he's not there for academic reasons. Um, and he'll have four years of eligibility at his new school. So he's four for four once he gets out of JUCO. Um, Webb told me that you know he'll keep me updated and let me know when he hears back from Coach Johnson on whether or not they're going to offer. Keep it moving, fellas. Keep it moving. I I, uh, I didn't know if you were going to transition us there, young man. No, Sorry I said I, I told you before. Hey, peek behind the curtain. I said you two just go back and forth and ripped off each other for five minutes. So linebacker Trevin Wallace, he's a Boston College commitment from Jessup, Georgia, Wayne County High School, school that FSU has recruited in the past. He, as I mentioned, committed to Boston College, but he committed back in June. Things have taken off for him, especially with playing this season. Uh, he's become a commodity. The SEC's in love with him. Auburn, South Carolina, Tennessee are three that are very much in there. LSU's sniffing around. FSU, according to him, offered a little over a week ago now. He spoke on it on Friday. He mentioned wanting to take visits if things do open back up, and he doesn't sign early, which it sounds like he's leaning towards potentially not signing early. 
He mentioned Auburn, South Carolina, Tennessee as potential visits, and then threw FSU in there as well. Uh, FSU's got work to do there. They're behind the three SEC schools and potentially flip them away from Boston College. But it does show some movement in regards to linebacker board since the loss of Brandon Jennings. That's probably the most significant bit about that. The other recruiting thing, I talked to a team source about Destin Hill, a.k.a. formerly known as Destin Payson. They still feel confident in him. I know everybody just went, ugh and said, you know, he's ending up at Alabama or Florida. But at this point, I don't think he's at top of Alabama's board. Florida's trying to make a little run at him, but FSU still believes they're going to be the ones to land him as things stand today. But we shall see. We're working on some other stuff with the wide receiver board that Josh will try to work on later this week. But I don't want to spoil it. I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. That's it for There's recruiting. a lot to spoil. Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit to spoil. Let's not sell yourself short. All right. Yeah, we're trying to, yeah, we're trying to find a little meat on the bone here and there, but we're out recruiting, here. Recruiting at the 2021 level really isn't going to heat up until after the season ends. Yeah. And I, I don't think FSU wants to simply take 21 kids to take 21 kids, especially ones that they don't have a relationship with, haven't seen, that they're solely evaluating off of a video, essentially. Mm hmm when they can go with a portal kid. Um, I think they're going to be very careful about doing one versus the other. Okay, guys, I got three questions for you. Then we'll wrap it up. You ready? Lightning round? Yep. Move it, move it on quickly here. Number one, Chubba Purdy made his debut on Saturday, went 0 for 9, but not entirely his fault. Victim of at least two drops, uh, maybe four to five, depending on how you categorize a drop. Regardless, didn't get a lot of help. Chris is holding up four. Yes. Uh, how do we use Chubba, for, Chubba Purdy going forward? I think you sprinkle him in when opportunities present themselves. And at some point, I think you're probably going to end up transitioning to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, w- where that point comes is going to probably de- be determined on Jordan Travis's health, unfortunately. Yeah. And they also, might get forced into putting him in as a, as a primary quarterback sooner than later. But I think, you know, moving forward, you use two quarterbacks. I think I'm with you, Josh. I think what do we have for the schedule? Pittsburgh at NC State and Clemson the next three, Chris? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. I and say then after Virginia that Clemson, at home and at Duke to close it out. I think it would be a pretty sweet spot to do at after Clemson to make the full switch if that's something that you think he's capable of handling. That's kind of the caveat here. But you're gonna have to continue to see him get reps. You have to see what you have in him. You have to give him and give him experience. Mike Norvell talks about investing reps in a an underclassman. It's gonna be important. You can certainly see the potential for him. All right, let's see. Is this team better coached than it was at any point in the previous three years? Yes, I believe it is. Over, I think overall, yeah. I the agree. results don't show much, but so far. Certainly in-game stuff, I agree. Uh, end of Jimbo's tenure, obviously Jimbo's still a very good coach, but he was disinterested. The fact that he won seven games in hindsight was – no, I know he only won five games, right? Still. Kind of impressive. You, you put that respect on Odell Higgins. I will. Five and Odell. What was it? How did we get to four? Four and Odell. Good times. Good times. Yeah, I think it, I think it was four and Odell. That's where the streak ended. All right, last last one. We're entering the second half, the, the final half of the season. Five games remaining. What's a reasonable expectation for the second half of the season? Reasonable. Yeah. Um, I, I I'd set it at two and three. I think Clemson's going to beat their brains out. I, I think, think it's gonna... reasonable to expect this team's going to be wildly inconsistent. 
rest of the way out. That's that a is, great point. New that York. is that is reasonable beyond a doubt at this point. I I'm gonna I feel kind of good about this. I think they're gonna come out and they're gonna beat Pittsburgh after the bye. I think they're gonna drop their next two, and then I think they're gonna finish the game or the season on a two game winning streak and go three and two to round it out. Pitt's defensive front worries me, and if they have Kenny Pickett back, they're going to be able to do a bit more offensively than they have in the last two outings. Their backup quarterback situation is dreadful. Um, Virginia is not very good, but we saw him hang with Miami, so I don't want to dismiss him. Duke hasn't been very good. Who knows where they'll be in six, seven weeks. Clemson's going to beat the living crap out of FSU. Don't say that, Chris. You don't know. Uh, they're going to beat the hell out of them. I mean, it's going to be name your score. Um and NC State, who knows? NC State's always such a weird one. And they got FSU. quarterback issues with injuries, too. So Yeah, and I, I think Ricky Person got hurt for them, too. Uh, I'm not sure how badly, but he'd been a big piece for them offensively at running back. Yeah, so, I mean, they may fall into some luck here. It just depends what team we see. Do we see UNC first half, or do we see Louisville first half? I mean, Would you bet $100 on them winning three games? No. No, I don't think I'd put $100 on that. Two games? Yeah, I'd put $100 on okay. that. Cool. Now, if you gave me some good odds, like put down twenty dollars to win a hundred on three three games, I would do that. If you gave me some good odds, I'm bullish. I, I think I think coaching is going to prevail by the end of the season. But you got to figure some things out during the bye week here. Josh, you heard my uh, dermatologist story earlier. Should, should we share that on the podcast or or not? Should we just wrap it up? I think we'll just share that with Chris. He'll love to hear that after. All right. For Josh Newberg. It will be on our after the bench show. Too soon. Too Too soon. soon. (laughs) Too soon. Wrap it up before they hear it. Wrap it up. All right. Thank you for listening to On the Bench. We'll be back. Uh, We'll be back at the end of this week. Set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan.